Good morning. For those um, for those of you that I have not had the privilege to meet, my name is Ron Willoughby, and I want to start this morning by telling you that I'm a friend. I've been a friend to your pastor, Drew Schaffner, and his bride, Marcia, and their daughter, Hannah, for 22 years. I've built relationship with many of you for almost 24 years now. I made my first appearance on this platform at Severn Baptist Church just a few months after Pastor B.J. Ferguson retired. And so I can tell you from my heart that I'm a friend to this church. I, I, I don't pretend to know what you're feeling from the last couple of weeks. I have some sense of your hurt and your questions. And what I'd like to do this morning is I simply want to invite you with me to just take a step back and just breathe. In fact, to take that step back, I I want to take a step way back that's probably um, before many of you were born, which tells you how ancient I am. 52 years ago, 52 years ago in July of 1969, I can never remember if it's July 19th or July 20th, I'm going to go with 20th because that's what feels strongest to me right now, July 20th, 1969, before many of you were born, and I was just a wee lad, wee lad, we heard these famous words. Tranquility base, the eagle has landed. And then it wasn't long before this fellow by the name of Neil Armstrong, who really doesn't look anything like Ryan Gosling, if any of you saw the movie. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, they were there on the moon. And for some of you, this is so old news, but for me, man, it was just amazing. A farm boy growing up in Indiana, we were so into this space program. And then Neil Armstrong, he comes down onto this pad and he says, one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. And we couldn't believe it. Michael Collins was up orbiting around in the the command module. It was just phenomenal. I mean, it was just, we didn't even know it. We banged pots and pans together. You would have thought it was like New Year's or something. It was just amazing. We had human beings on the moon. And they had this guidance computer. It was cutting edge, I got to tell you. I mean, it was amazing. It handled, you know, their trajectory and their pitch and their roll and their attitude and their altitude and all those other tudes. And it got them back home safely. It was just brilliant. And the thing about that, uh, that guidance system that just 
blows my mind today and the reason that most of us can't appreciate how cool it was back in the day is because uh, this phone has more computing capabilities than that guidance system had 50 years ago. Now that says more about the guidance system than it does about my phone, I can assure you of that. And one of the things that happened from that time that's just kind of happened throughout my life is that we've talked about greater and greater things. Do you know? I mean, after we got to the moon, it was about going back to the moon. And we went back and we went back. And then it was talk about, you know, well, maybe we'll build an international space station. And my older brother, he, he actually works for NASA down in, on the Cape. And he got to work on the international space station which was launched up into the air and then there were the shuttles where there were no more splashdowns and they just landed on the runway and all of this kind of stuff. And the whole time we talked about greater and greater advancements. Like we could just do anything, you know? And now look at us 50 years later and we've got cars that drive themselves and park themselves, which I've seen some of you drive, so it's a good thing, you know? <laughs> We, we've got all kinds of this AI stuff, artificial intelligence. One day, we're going to have artificial intelligence that can actually sort recyclables, which will be an amazing thing to me. I mean, there's so many cool things, and we talk about things being greater and greater, and we talk about, I mean, you know, cars that fly and... And I mean, and who, know, who knew we'd send billionaires up into space, they came back, unfortunately, but we, you know, I'm, it's just, it's been for me, it's been a life of greater and greater things. You know, if we could conceive it, we could achieve it. That's, they taught me from the youngest age. And what's fascinating to me is that for all of our imaginings in all different aspects of life, the thing that I rarely hear people talk about are greater and greater things with God. Most of the time, and don't get me wrong, I don't want to bum anybody out here, but most of the time when we talk about being followers of Jesus or having this with God life, you know, Emmanuel, God with us, this with God life, when we talk about that sort of thing, Dallas Willard, who was a very wise man, he said, you know, what normally happens is we think about two things when we talk about our relationship with Jesus. We think about, one, how to get our head and the rest of us into heaven, and two, how how to manage sin while we're here on earth. That seems to be the two things we think about with our relationship with God. And here's the thing that really kind of blows my mind is that there are these people who are uh, so much wiser than me who have suggested that there's so much more that we could expect in this relationship with God, that we could hope for greater and greater things. C.S. Lewis suggested that the problem with most of us isn't that we want too much out of life, it's that we don't want enough. There's this inspiring fellow by the name of Frank Laubach, and in his prayer diary, he writes, 
He says, I, I long to explore undiscovered spiritual continents. How cool is that? That here, because our God is so vast, because our God is so amazing, because he goes beyond anything you and I could possibly put into words, you could discover unexplored spiritual continents, greater and greater things. And the reason I say that to you isn't because, you know, Laubach thought of that or C.S. Lewis thought about that. I mean, the Apostle Paul didn't even think about it. When he wrote in Ephesians, you know, to our God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ask or imagine by, wait for it, you ready? His power at work in us. Right? He, he says, you know how amazing God is? God is so amazing that he can go beyond anything you imagine. You imagine the biggest thing you could imagine, God can go beyond that. See, you imagine the greatest possible day. God can so blow past that, it would blow your mind, literally. That's how amazing God is. But he didn't even originate with this greater and greater things. It actually comes from a man named Jesus. And the most important thing I can tell you about Jesus is that he's the son of God. And that makes him like the smartest guy on the planet, right? You guys understand that? I mean, the smartest guy on any planet. And so I want you to look with me at these words of Jesus in the book of John. There's this this great section, John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, but we only get to look at a little bit of it uh, today because... I promised Drew I'd try not to run you guys off. Uh, John chapter 14. I was going to wait for you to look it up, but it's just like right there, so. (sighs) You guys. John chapter 14, starting with verse 9. These are the words of Jesus, okay? Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time. See, what happened there was a fellow named Philip, who's a friend of his, had been with him for a very long time, says, you know, show us the Father and that'll be great for us. And Jesus is like, you haven't connected the dots yet. You don't know who I am yet. He says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they'll do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father so that the Father may be glorified in the Son you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it you know, when you read that first part, it kind of sounds like a merger, 
doesn't it? I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. You know, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. I mean, there's all this, he's in me and I'm in him kind of stuff. I mean, it sounds like a merger, you know? It, It sounds like an integration, And you know what integration is, right? Integration is when you take a couple of things and you put them together, right? It's where we get the word integrity from. Integrity, it's when you take your words and your actions and they're integrated. That's integrity. Well, in the same way, Jesus is talking about God the Father and him as the two of them are together. And we understand that to some extent, right? We understand that there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Jesus here saying, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We are distinct, but it's really hard to tell where I stop and he begins. That's part of the mystery of Jesus, Part of the mystery of Jesus isn't that he's Superman. Part of the mystery of Jesus is that he's fully human, fully God. And that hurts my brain a little bit. So if you can't quite figure it out, you're really in good company. We should get jackets with little insignias. But what I think I sort of understand about the language, about this, I am in the Father and the Father is in me is that there's a closeness between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one, that I've never, ever experienced. Hold on to that thought, okay? Verse 12, very truly, I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have fully embraced Christ as your Lord, if you have given your all to be with him, then he says that you will do greater things than these. He says you will do the works, not the, not the words, but the works that God has done through Jesus while he was here on earth. Let me just do a quick survey because your experience might be significantly different than mine, okay? If I, if, any, any followers of Jesus in the room? Could you just, just, okay, all right, good, good. I'm not by myself, that's good. So here's the thing I want you to do. Now listen carefully, okay? I want you to raise your hand if God has worked through you recently to raise the dead. A cure leprosy? Put your hands on somebody's eyes and cure their blindness. No? Healings? Okay. How about feed a few thousand people with some bread and fish 
but don't get me wrong, we, we've fed a lot of people in West Baltimore. I know you guys have fed a lot of people here, but it's taken more than a, you know, five loaves and two fish, right? Here's the weird thing. You know, you do that kind of survey and then you come back to these words where Jesus says, if you believe in me, you will do what I am doing and even greater things than these. Remember how I said earlier that he's the smartest guy on any planet? Okay? So maybe it's hyperbolic language, right? Maybe he's just speaking in hyperbole. That's, that's what I would initially think, except later on in this talk, in chapter 16, his boys say to him, you're talking to us plainly, straightforwardly, without figures of speech. That kind of cancels out the possibility that he's speaking in hyperbole. I, we could say that maybe Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about, but there's not really a chance of that. I mean, no one honestly believes that the Son of God, the best person who ever lived, uh, doesn't know what he's talking about. You, you have to find a pretty rabid atheist before you find someone who will say something bad about Jesus. Even non-believers will say, yeah, he's a good guy, he had good ethical teachings, etc., etc." So there's rarely anybody who says, that guy didn't have a clue. So I'm just going to go ahead and take that off the table. And so if he's not speaking in hyperbole and, and he knows from which he, once he speaks, then what could he mean when he says, you will do even greater things than these, greater and greater things? That's what he says. You know, I don't know about you, but quite possibly for me that three most humbling words in my life since I've been a dad are uh, some assembly required. <laughs> now, before you think too poorly of me, okay, I do want you to know that I did run a Ford engine room on a guided missile destroyer. I know my way around the business end of a wrench, okay? I'm just, I just want to put that out there unless you just think I'm some geek. I mean, I am a geek, but you know what I'm saying, all right? But... Some assembly required. See, when my little girl was born, there was this company that was owned by the evil one himself called Graco. And do you know Graco? Graco had this thing called a pack and play. And it was just simple. There was some assembly required, but it was so simple. You would just grab it and it would come together and you would just push something and it would go apart and you would put a mat in there and there are these two buttons on the side supposed to make it so easy to fold this playpen back up, right? They were like Venus flytraps, man. I'd lose skin, I'd lose fingers, I lost keys, I lost children, I lost my temper. I mean, you could just lose things in there, right? And then if that wasn't bad enough, my bride, who I desperately love, my bride wanted other Graco things because they had this cool stroller that had this thing that the baby went in and you could just pop it in and it clicked in the stroller and then two simple buttons. It's always two buttons. I don't know why. Two simple buttons and you could get it out and there's this little thing and you could put it in the back seat and it would click in and then the child would be safe in the back seat. Never in my entire life did I get those things to work correctly. Ever. And it was just humbling to me. And that's when I became convinced 
that nothing is as it's advertised. I wanted just as your friend suggest to you that if you see words like some assembly required, some restrictions apply, with the simple touch of a button, and my all-time favorite may require in-app purchases, that few things are as advertised. Which is why God is so amazing. He's totally as advertised. He always keeps his promises. He always tells the truth. He always tells you the 100. He doesn't give you just 90%. He tells you the whole truth. And since God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are one, then that means that Jesus always tells the truth and he always keeps his promises. In fact, just a few verses to give you an example. When Jesus says it, you, you can bank on it, all right? So when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these sins will be added to you as well, you can count on that. When he said, blessed are those who mourn for you will be comforted, you can count on that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for you will be filled. You can count on that. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. You can count on that. Everything he says, when he says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can count on that. There's no other relation in my life where I can count on every single promise. No other relationship. And so, whatever Jesus promises us, you can count on. So there in verse 13 and 14, I will do whatever you ask in my name. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Verse 20, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Sound familiar? He's using the exact same language he uses for God with us. And no, he doesn't mean that we get to be gods, okay? Trinity is full, there are no vacancies, we're not, we're not qualified, okay? I'm not saying any of that nonsense. But in John chapter 15, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Here's the thing. There's like five other passages I have for you, but I'll just cut to the chase on this. In, In those chapters, Jesus says like five times, ask whatever you will and it'll be done for you. If you remain in me and I remain in you, ask whatever you will will and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing showing yourself to be my disciple, right? 
we just established the fact that Jesus doesn't lie and that he keeps his promises. So, the only thing I can figure then is that when it comes to this statement of greater and greater things, about asking whatever you will, my first observation in that is that it's tied to our integration with the Holy Spirit, our integration with the Trinity, abiding in Christ. That's the term that's used. Us remaining in him and him remaining in us. We're in Christ and Christ is in us. And the second observation I would make is that Jesus promises these five times, ask whatever you want in my name. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand about that because this is really important, okay? Look, I'm, I'm trying to land the plane as quickly as I can, I promise. All right, Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing, saying in Jesus' name I pray, amen, is, there's nothing wrong with that, that's really cool, I respect that and stuff, but that's not what this passage is talking about, praying in Jesus' name. When you pray in the name of Christ, that means you pray with his priorities in mind, with his will as your greatest concern, with his promises bearing down on what you're asking for, Here's the thing that some people get confused about. When it says you can ask whatever you will in my name, he does not mean ask for a million dollars. I've tried. I just, it, it, it's turned out that that's not what he means by that. I even promised that I would use most of it for good stuff after I got all new socks and underwear, but that's a different story. Asking him to help you succeed at your career, to fulfill your goals and aspirations, that's not what it means to pray in Jesus' name. I'm not knocking if you got aspirations and you got a great career, rock on. I'm still trying to find a career at 57, all right? So I really respect that. But what I do mean is that in Jesus' name, saying those words, that's not the pin to the cosmic ATM that gets you what you want. That's not what Jesus is talking about. In fact, here's a really good tip. If you want to know whether you're praying in Jesus' name or not, in Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus made himself nothing, right? That he emptied himself. So, if your prayer in Jesus' name is going to result in making you somebody, then you're probably not praying in the right direction. Does that make sense? And then my third observation. Jesus said that we will do what he has been doing in even greater things than these. Jesus said ask so that Jesus might be glorified, might bring glory to the Father. I, I've been a pastor for a long time. Drew and I joke about the fact that there aren't many pastors our age. I, I've been one for 30 years now. And one of the things I've learned over the course of time is 
I've been invited to a lot of bedsides where people are ready to go from this side of the river to the next. And I read scripture to them and I hold their hand and I pray with them and I hold their family's hand and I try to keep my mouth shut so I don't say anything stupid. And one of the things I found fascinating over these 30 years, and I mean, I've done this a lot in 30 years. Nobody, no one on their deathbed has ever said to me, would you please give me the keys to my beamer so I can hold it one more time? Do you mind telling me what the NASDAQ did today? No one does that. Do you know what the three things people will ask you on your deathbed is, on their deathbed? Just so you know, just in case you're ever in that situation. They, they wanna know who they loved, who loved them, and they wanna know about what they did for God. That's it. Those are the questions that really matter. And I say that to you just to offer a little bit of perspective. Jesus said that you and I, as followers of his, we would do greater things than these. I, I think this is amazing opportunity for you to experience those promises of Jesus. I think this is an amazing opportunity for us to become a greater and greater family. I think this is a phenomenal opportunity for us to show greater and greater love. And I think it's a really good time for you and me to demonstrate greater and greater hope. And I hope you think about that, okay?